2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center. This hour has sentiment gotten so bad in the market that it's actually good for stocks, some on the street. Making that case today, which means we'll debate it with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jim Labenthal, Anastasia Amoroso, iCapital Chief Investment Strategist with me on set right here, Josh Brown and Stephanie Link. Let's check the markets as we always do. It's 12 noon in the east. We do have a good day going on Wall Street. Dow's good for better than 500 points, over 3,15, approaching 3,16 there. 3,900, a little bit above that for the S&P. That's 2%. NASDAQ's 2 and a third percent. Take a look at the Russell. A better than 3% gain today. As a matter of fact, small caps are above the 50-day moving average, which it has not crossed above since June 7th. They, Josh Brown, are on pace for the best month. Mid caps are rallying. Transport's are rallying. Tech is rallying. Are your sentiments (laughs) <laughs> rallying from where they have been.
0: I think we really want to take uh, take a little bit of a pause before we extrapolate one or two days into a bigger story, because as we know, the rubber is really going to meet the road earnings wise for the S&P 500 beginning next week. Um, this is when you're going to hear from a lot of market cap, especially for tech consumer discretionary. And I think it's not going to be the reports themselves, but the reaction to those reports that will be most important. The reason why I say that is a lot of bad news has been priced into large cap growth companies that are down 20%, 25, in some cases 30%. So it may be sufficient. We may have gotten too negative. Maybe the pendulum has swung too far, but it's too soon to definitively declare that until we see the post-market moves when those companies report, especially if any of them have anything more to say negative Um, as far as second-half guidance. So Mm -hmm. that's where I am. I I, want to see how the market digests these reports and and, uh, what they have to say post-call. Those are fair points, all of them, Steph, right? Yeah.
2: Um, We've been in this downtrend. Everybody hates the market. Yes. Right? It's hard to get sentiment more negative to where it is now. Bank of America has their fund manager survey. I'm so bearish, I'm bullish, is uh, Michael Hartnett's word. Dire level of investor pessimism, cash levels highest since 9-11, equity allocation lowest since Lehman. Max Barish is where everybody is, and he suggests as a result of that, you could get a stock and credit rally in the coming weeks.
3: I think you have a trading range market right now, uh, because a lot of things haven't changed at all. There's still a lot of unknowns, the Fed being one of them, inflation. And now we have this dollar problem, which is going to be the theme for the second quarter. We're already hearing about it. And so, look, did we get oversold? Sentiment is bad. People have lost a lot of money. They forgot that they made money the last three years. Um, And so, and not only that, you've seen big swings in the market as well, which is upsetting. Um, And so, look, I, I think that... We can be in this trading range. I think there are opportunities out there. I think so far earnings, if you look under the hood, earnings actually are pretty good. If you look at the banks, the headline was bad, Mm. but net interest income was better. Capital levels were better. Look at Halliburton. They said they were sold out in North America and international is humming, right? So energy is going to do well. Um, we look at Pepsi. I keep on bringing that up because that's on my radar screen because I don't own it and I want to own it. So in a weakness, in a weak tape, I might, but they're talking about 13%. Percent organic growth. So, you know, I've been picking at some names mm-hmm. Morgan Stanley, Occidental, Starbucks. Right. So, on some of these big drawdowns, that's where I'm going a little bit more aggressive. Okay. But I don't think that the market is going to run away from us from here.
2: We're going to get to one of yours in a little bit, too. yes i know Where yeah, you, you left that one out.
3: <laughs> well, on purpose. Yeah, Please. I know you did.
2: I know you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's why you left it out. Right. right. We'll get to that later. You guys know what I'm talking about, yes. I think. All right, Anastasia. Josh said it's hard to do anything in the market before you hear from the companies that are reporting and hear what their guidance is going to be. I mean, obviously, that's a fair and good point. The thing is that J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic suggests that weaker guidance could open the doors for the Fed to pivot and tempt investors to step into the market. So there's plus in the negative, at least according to him.
4: Well, that would be tempting. That would be a big uh, positive, but I don't think we can count on it per se and the reason is the biggest catalyst we need to see is the fed we need to see the fed pivot and i'm just not sure that that's going to happen i think the fed is not going to be to be dissuade if the we- the corporate guidance is a little bit weaker what they need to see is any t- inflation problem to be under under control and we're not close to that. I mean the problem in the last report I think for the Fed is the fact that it's not just the headline that was just an eye-popping number, but you've had inflation pressure broadening out and shelter inflation for example has accelerated massively. Uh, And it's 30 percent of the CPI. So weaker corporate guidance or not, that's not going to change the inflation narrative for the Fed. So I think maybe the formula for market upside is starting to be there, which is valuations that have reset a lot. Sentiment, as you say, is just a rock bottom levels. But we're still missing that catalyst. And to me, it's the Fed, it's inflation. And I wouldn't expect uh, corporate earnings to really lift us materially higher.
2: Okay. now to the captain of the USS Bullish otherwise known as Farmer Jim Labenthal. My question to you is peak bearishness reason enough to be bullish because everybody has cited still significant issues, including well articulated by Anastasia just a moment ago. You need a catalyst. What's the positive catalyst? If all you have is hoping for a Fed pivot, you ain't got much.
5: So I I think everything that's been said so far is right. Um, There's one word that is on my mind today, as it has been for many weeks, which is balance. I think the market became imbalanced with the focus on negative news, and I think there's been positive news out there. That is starting to come to the fore. And what that will do is allow us to go maybe a little bit higher from here. But the real secular rally does not start until, as Anastasia said, that the Fed pivots. But I do want to focus on some of the positives that are out there. Steph mentioned this with regards to earnings not being so bad. She touched on the net interest income at J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. Most of those companies said that net interest income is going to be higher than they previously guided. And then you've got Taiwan semi guiding positively. United Health. Um, the point that I'm driving at here is that the negative news coming into this earnings season, or the negative projection, is that guidance was going to fall off a cliff. It's a mixed bag right now. Okay, IBM's not great. Lockheed Martin is not great, but a mixed bag puts balance into the equation that's been missing for some weeks. And so, Scott, when you refer to the surveys, whether it's, you know, consumer surveys, investor surveys, CEO surveys, most of which have never been this low or, you know, haven't been this low since the late Cretaceous period. um, Yes, things got imbalanced and it leaves a lot of room for improvement still.
0: Are we so sure that the Fed pivot is bullish for the market beyond one day? Think about what we're saying here this is the worst inflation in 41 years. The market clearly, consensus around the market clearly, had been for seven months that the Fed was A, moving too slowly, and B, not doing enough when they were moving. Um, Now it seems as though the Fed has caught up at least to the market. Are we now saying that market participants view recession as a bigger risk than inflation and therefore signs of a Fed pivot would be bullish? Or are we talking about like no. a one-day thousand point rally? Because I'm not sure no. that we all agree on this premise. So
5: Jim, answer that because yeah, I think it's but, a great question. So so Josh, I mean it is a great question. And I think where we're where we're Disagreeing, where many of the bulls and bears are disagreeing is simply on whether a recession is going to occur or not. Um, the bulls okay I'm one think that this is a growth slowdown we point to things mainly the job market but not only the job market. ISM surveys of services. Um, you know retail sales albeit measured in nominal terms are growing. There are the, the point being is that we've got a negative sentiment around a recession that rivals going into the great financial crisis and it's not clear, at least to this bull, but I think to others that we're actually going to have one.
2: I'm trying to figure out, like, what exactly is the expectation of a pivot to begin with? What, what happens? They, they raise rates, 75 basis say, points in no, a week, and then they raise rates, 75 basis points in September? They say no, 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 And no. then all of a sudden it's they signaling. just pivot and suggest no, no, no. It's, or they signal or they, they signal that that's kind of it for a while? They say the
0: risks are now more balanced. Is that what it is? And they say the risks are now more balanced and then a meeting or two later, they say, okay, actually, now the, the risk is, they, not in these words, but now the risk is more to the downside and that they're going to worry more about employment. But we but are that's so, like far, so away far away <laughs>
3: from <Yeah>. 2% inflation. <laughs> yeah, right. So far away. So they... Who knows if they're going to pivot in September? They may keep going, especially if those numbers keep coming in. Even if we've seen peak inflation, which we probably have, it's still very, very high. Anastasia mentioned wages and rents, and those are much stickier parts of inflation. And so they're going to just keep on raising, who knows, 50, 75. What's the time frame? But that's
0: kind of my point, too. Yeah. I, that, I think you that's heard kind of the point. It, so, it, it, you heard Solomon say it's entrenched. He's not the only person using that word. When it becomes entrenched, then the fear is the wage price spiral. And I'm gonna tell you one other thing about this job market lie that I don't think is very well understood. In the pre-COVID world, which we are not going back to and can no longer rest on um, the the old uh, conventions of, in the pre-COVID world, if you put out a job opening, like if you said we are physically hiring right now, it made sense we need somebody to come work, here's the job opening, come take the job, we close out the job opening. In the post-COVID world, you have companies posting five, seven, 10 jobs, they're remote, it's not quite one-to-one, and I don't know that we can rest on those laurels, that data of there being so much room to hire, That could turn really quickly. You're seeing it in the headlines, in tech, in communications, in consumer discretionary, in e-commerce, in social media, in crypto. It's not that big of a leap to say, all of a sudden the Fed could get worried about the job market. We're nowhere near it yet, I understand that. Um, But again, that's the kind of thing where I think we're maybe a little bit too confident in how many open jobs there are that might not really actually be there.
2: Anastasia, I feel like the, the pivoters, yeah. if you want to call them the pivoters, this cohort <laughs> of people who are, who are bullish later in the year because they think the Fed is going to make this pivot, act as though the Fed is going to say in September, okay, we did our 75 again, and because inflation has peaked, we're good. And we're just going to take okay. it, a wait and see. But as Steph said, we are so far above 2%, and it's going to take a long time to get back to that level that I don't know if that's a foolhardy sort of thing to 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 place your bets on, like some of the most bullish people are.
4: I think that's right, Scott. I think that's the biggest risk in the market right now is that everybody expects the Fed to pause and get inflation out of control, you know, in the next three months and pause around three point six, three point eight percent interest rate. But it is really challenging to. Resolve some of the bottleneck issues that we have. We talk about the shelter inflation. I am really concerned about that one. I mean, think about the lack of inventory of housing. Think about the fact that the multifamily residential vacancy rate is at 2.6%. I mean, this is one of the lowest numbers that we've seen. So, how exactly are you going to bring down shelter inflation very quickly? That's 30% of the CPI basket then we talk about energy prices I think they can probably stabilize around ninety or hundred dollars levels which is good for headline inflation but it's still almost a hundred dollars a barrel the fed cannot fix that quickly so I think that's the biggest risk in the market is that we get to September and they have not done enough to bring down inflation. The other thing that I would say and I am in a slowdown camp as well I think perhaps we still have a path to a soft landing but the risk to that view is that maybe given the supply constraints that we have, they need to bring down demand much more than they were previously expected because 2% at this point is a pipe dream. It is not in sight yet. Mm -hmm. So having said that, Scott, I will just say one positive thing about this is most people see this recession coming. Most people are starting to price it in. The economic variables say that there's a 43 percent risk of a recession in the next year. The markets say there's 50 or 60 percent risk. So I think the markets maybe have gone a long way to price in this recession.
2: Jim, what's your reaction response to all of what you just heard? Because it sort of flies in the face of, of, you know, your view a bit. And as I mentioned, many others who are trying to come around to the idea. And even we had this conversation yesterday in overtime with Ed Yardenny. New highs for stocks could come next year. The new bull market resurges next year.
5: I, I think I'm going to go back to where I started. This is a question of balance, and this is a very good discussion. I mean, we're, we're coloring both sides of the equation. Um, Are you know, there the really one side both bigger. sides
2: equally, though? That I, think, I think that is the crux, honestly, of this debate, a credible debate. Are there yeah. equal sides to this argument, or is the scale tipped? in favor of of the negatives because of all that's obviously taking place in front of us. You can't suggest that it's an equal playing field when it really isn't.
5: Well, my feeling on this, Scott, is that the market And its response to every piece of news is tilted towards the negative. This is the point I've been trying to make about balance for several weeks is that there are positives out there I of course see the negatives but there are positives out there that have been ignored by the market really as it goes down into a bear market territory which this is you know the first bear market I've ever seen with labor as high as it is I heard what Josh said I respectfully disagree. Um, But I I think what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks is a reflection in the market that it's just simply not as bad as has been made out. It's not good. Jim,
0: Jim, in the June meeting, Jerome Powell Powell told you specifically how he was going to bring demand, destroy demand down to the point where they could at some point see victory uh, in their line of sight on inflation, and this is his actual words, all but guaranteeing a bear market, okay? This is June, this is not six months ago. Quote, over the course of this year, financial markets have responded and have generally shown that they understand the path we're laying out, end quote. The path they're laying out is more demand destruction. They're not done, they can't be done, and they are looking at PCE, owner's equivalent rent. They're not even seeing the extent to which we've got this entrenched inflation in rents, in prices, and they're going to address it by continuing to put pressure on financial assets and the housing market. In that environment, you're going to have days like today where we get a, a relief, and that's cool. I'm all for it. I own stocks, too. I just don't think it's it's soon enough to say. They're on the verge of pivoting or things aren't as bad as we that. think.
5: I'm not saying that. I'm, gonna, I'm not interrupting you, Josh, but I'm interrupting the whole discussion because everybody who's listened to me knows that my thesis is not that the Fed's going to pivot. The Fed's going to continue to raise interest rates. What my thesis is, is that the long-term impact of the pandemic is supply chain onshoring, which is going to match the demand destruction that the Fed is working on with demand from supply chain onshoring, on-shoring and Onshoring is inherently spend.
0: inflationary, thereby working... Yeah, counter to what the Fed says they're trying
5: to do. let me finish. Let me finish. I I, I love listening to you. I really do. But just let me finish the point here. I hear you. You're portraying the negative side very clearly. I can see it. Again, to the point that the positive sides are being missed. Look at gasoline futures down 25% in a month. Look at lumber, copper. Look at the direction of initial jobless claims which by the way initial jobless claims picking up the continuing claims continue to be right at their 50 year low which does say that as jobs are laid off people are finding replacement work right away the upshot of which it's taking labor pressure off I mean these are things that are happening Jim, right now
2: you you sound at times as if you are painting a, this is why I'm bullish on America for the next 10 years narrative, So which I I totally get that. Okay. (laughs) I need to know why you're bullish on the stock market for the next 10 months. None of what you said in terms of onshoring has anything to do with where this stock market goes in the next 10 months. It just let's talk in the next not.
5: talk in the next six months. Let's talk the second half of this year. What I'm looking for, and we've already qualified that we're ten percent into the earnings season right now. But what I'm looking for is the guidance. And as much as I see negative guidance from Lockheed Martin on supply chain, I see positive guidance across a wide array of industries, whether it's JP Morgan, whether it's United Healthcare, whether it's Taiwan SEMI, whether it's Samsung Electric. And my point being is that Earnings are projected right now to fall off a cliff we're only 10% into the earnings season I get it this may change but right now nothing's falling off a cliff and it gives a bridge to the end of the year. The positive effects I'm talking about are going to be felt in 2023. There's this perception that 2023 earnings on the S&P 500 have to go from 250 to 200. I don't agree with that. Steph.
6: Wow.
3: (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I, I I'm, am I'm thinking about this. Listening to this conversation, and I'm thinking. Can't we just be a ba- can't we just be balanced? Do we have to be so negative or so positive? Is it black or white? It's okay. There are these issues. The Fed is doing what they're doing. There's a lot of unknowns. We don't know how what the outcome is going to be. People are saying it's going to lead to a recession. We don't know. They have a bad history of when they raise rates that it doesn't lead to a recession. So I get all these concerns, but then it's, I go also back to, to Jim's point of so far earnings aren't so bad. So let's see. We have four. 14% of the companies that are report this week. They just started. They just started, and we're hearing not terrible, terrible things so far.
2: And I would make the the case, though, that— So I'm
3: just saying—wait, I'm just saying, can we stay balanced? Do we have to be, like, all in or all all out?
0: Could earnings hold up and the multiple continue to contract by another 20%?
3: I don't think 20%. I think that they could certainly contract, sure.
0: In the last recession, probably we wouldn't get down to that multiple. But take an average of recessionary— uh, earnings multiple contractions, and even if earnings, quote unquote, hold up, it is possible that prices remain too high, especially if you think we're going to have these coordinated rate hikes. Yeah, around but the you world. Some,
3: of the, some of these stocks, Josh, are down so much. The market's already down twenty percent, right? But I have stocks that are down forty and fifty percent. Well, here's the I might want to not use and those so,
0: reference points, though, because no. that that was the biggest stimulus of all time globally that produced those stock prices from 2021. We might want to throw those out and and not anchor to them. Look, look, look you're at 15. Especially some of the stuff I own. You, so you're at, you're <laughs> you at
3: 15 think? times forward. So if I think earnings are going to hang in. Mm. And not every sector is going to hang in. I'm not even sure if tech is going to hang in. I sure I sure do believe energy is going to hang in, and I sure believe that materials will also hang in. Well, I in. wish
0: those were twice as big as they are, but they're you're not. You're so right, but energy
3: went from 2 percent to over 5 percent. People now have to actually start Picano. to— I know, I know, right. but you know what? You have to start to pay attention as a portfolio manager if you're zero and it's the only sector that's working. I, I think, Seth,
2: so. my, my, my overall point is this is not people being positive versus people being negative. I feel like the Fed, is, it's not equal, that's not a one-off against something else that's positive. That carries a lot more weight. What the Fed right. is is not only doing now, but it is going to. You do. spend ten that years that carries a lot more weight over whatever positives you want to tell you spend me. You spent ten years right saying don't buy right. earnings aren't so bad. You can't that, say don't that worry. That the you know. all but, the Fed tightening that offsets I, it. But that's why I I don't been think say, so.
3: I've been saying that this market is going to be a choppy market since January. We're going to have trading ranges, right? And I don't know what those levels are, but I don't see us getting out of those ranges in a big way, meaningful way, on the upside, because of the unknowns that we're talking about, because of the Fed, because of inflation, because of the dollar. I've said this time and again i'm not bearish but i'm not super bullish but i can still find some stocks and sectors that i like
2: last word we'll make that it right hold on hold on (laughs) sorry (laughs) i'll come back to you i promise i gotta take a break (laughs) netflix is getting ready to report earnings after the bell that stock is up more than 10 percent in a week but you know what happened last time they reported that was like the biggest bombshell we've seen in a long time from anybody during earnings season We're going to get you set ahead of the report, which, by the way, comes in overtime. So I'll see you in three hours when that happens. Overtime, then halftime, back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
6: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers,
2: All right. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Netflix trading higher ahead of earnings after the bell today. It's up 13 percent in a month. However, it's still the worst stock in the S&P 500 this year. Mm. Now, let's discuss this with you, Mr. Brown. Yes. (laughs) I just want your thoughts on it because, as I said, this was the biggest bombshell last time. Expectations have come down so far along with the stock. Give me the mind of the investor going Yo, in. No, but let's
0: keep it real. Like, I bought it after it blew up. Like, let's not yeah, of act course. like I'm a, like no, no, I'm a no. Netflix bear. Ba- I'm bag-holding a bunch of stocks. This is not one of them. What's the mind <laughs> of the investor now, you know, irrespective of whether you bought it before? They're if you probably it before, lose, you feel horrible. All right. They probably they probably lost 2 million subs. Those it's, are the expectations. Okay. If they lost 3 million subs, the stock is going to violate uh, 185, which has been support. It has bounced off of that level, or, or 180, I should say. Uh, it'll lose that support and nothing will matter if if it's materially worse than that. They haven't given guidance to that effect. I don't think they want to have the third um, gap down open shocker in a row. Go look at the, the, the price action the last two times they reported. So just, like, try to remember, yeah, Netflix is struggling right now. That's why they're putting Goodfellas and stuff on there. They're, like, doing greatest hits. They're doing what everybody does when they get in trouble. <laughs> they're like, all right, fine, just De Niro. I, I would be doing the same <laughs> and they have thing. Stranger even... <laughs> Things, but
2: the, even the bulls say <laughs> stranger that things, can only weird. take you so far.
0: Stranger Things was a monster, though. Yeah, and monster. Here's, here's the history of Netflix in the past. When they've had a massive show, a new season, a streaming record, it has been good in the, in the next quarter for um, lowering the churn rate and bringing in new subs. And Stranger Things season four debut and all of the streaming records that they broke um, here, I think they did 930 million hours in the first 28 days. Like, I think there could be some carry forward on that. The most expensive movie they've ever made called The Gray Man. That's with Ryan Gosling, which I will not personally miss. I doubt Steph will either. That's next week. They're predicting big things. So the programming, in the end, the Mm. content, it really does matter. The last thing I'll say on Netflix, and I've said this before, going to Microsoft for the ads is very interesting. Mm -hmm. If you know the history of Silicon Valley, Microsoft helped Facebook build an ad platform from scratch back in 2007. Um, that, to me, is the most interesting thing. Forget about how many subs they add or you lost You think the, the ad quarter.
3: platform is going to work?
0: I don't think we're going to see it until early next year. Yeah. But I think there's going to be a lot of hype around it. And there was a piece in the journal today about how excited the advertisers are. Of course. What's interesting about the Netflix ad platform is they're not going to have that many subs for it on day one. But that's the growth opportunity. Hmm. Like not starting off throwing ads in everyone's face, but saying, yeah, I just think this of the is user a user
3: experience. Tier. That's what I think that it's going to really It's working
0: die. for Peacock. It's working for, you know, there's several platforms. It's, it's actually helping them. It's a different tier of audience. And it's an audience hmm. that Netflix historically has been giving itself away to for free. Let me ask These you are this. are people sharing passwords. Let me ask you this.
2: Did you buy the stock? Mm. because you saw the roadkill and you said too good of an opportunity to miss now. Or nice. did you buy it because you're truly bullish on the company's future, which many sort of question the, where the growth is going to be over the next you know a handful of years for okay. a variety of
0: reasons. Okay. So at its low, it's 197 now, but at its low, like 180, this was a $75 billion market cap. There are actually companies on earth that like strategically could be buyers of Netflix. I felt- Even with that, regulatory stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, Zuckerberg can't buy it, but yes, um, I felt that at that point in time, there was enough strategic This is the biggest platform in the world. If you believe the stat that uh, every shared password has like up to four or five people using it in the family or whatever, that means that truly they could have a billion people watching content on this platform. So I felt that the stock had been de-risked. Even if you think they're going to be in a knife fight with Disney um, and, and Amazon Prime. Well, and they Apple are, but TV, they're going to
2: have to spend more. Even if
0: you think that goes on for two years, it's still a huge audience. Now, what, what, what would make me change my mind? Yeah. If there is such a substantial delta between how many subs they really lost this quarter and what Wall Street was expecting. So if they say losing $2 million, they lose $5 million, I'll probably be out of the stock. I didn't buy well, it. You want a flood of other people. No. Sh- yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, stranger hey. things have happened. No, because I'm not. Good catch. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I don't. Warning care. light. In, in this the is end. the new warning light. In we the end, I went there. into the it as a trade. I, t- I told you my, um, my predetermined, like, this is my off ramp. It's not that important okay. to me. If they, bl- if they blow up tonight, I'll, do, I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> All right. Good catch.
2: All right, up next, our halftime headliner, BTIG's Jonathan Krinsky is with us. The key technical read, he is watching. We've been talking about it, what it could be signaling about where the market is going to go next, whether you should believe the kind of move that we're seeing today. With him next.
6: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang and Olufsen sound system up to a 313 mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones. Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: Julia Borson has breaking news on the battle between Twitter and Elon Musk. Julia?
3: Twitter wins this hearing today, the judge ruling that she will allow the lawsuit between Twitter and Elon Musk to be expedited. Um, The judge saying that the longer, the larger the transaction, the longer the transaction is in limbo, the bigger the damage will be. So this is a win for Twitter as it moves forward. Twitter did request to have its case heard in September, a four-day trial. Elon Musk had said he thought that they needed until February to prepare for a trial, and he had asked for much longer trial, a 14-day trial. So this is a win for Twitter out of Delaware. And we see Twitter shares are up over 4% on this news. Scott?
2: Julia, thank you. Julia Borston with the latest there. I'd love a comment here on the desk. Josh Brown first. You owned it at one point.
3: I've owned it over the years, but I tempted it all. No. When you asked me at 50, would I sell it or buy it? And I said, if I owned it, I would have sold it because this is not trading on fundamentals right now. That's the whole problem. So I don't have an edge on what's going to happen. But I do think that even if he gets it, it's a mess. He's got to fix.
0: Josh, I'm just so happy for Kevin O'Leary right now. Josh, what? Seriously. No, seriously. Uh, no, I think there's a lot more on the line than just what happens with Twitter and Elon Musk here. This is about whether or not, like, the rules of, of engagement um, are going to be enforced. And we're dealing with this societally uh, all over the place, from Washington to Hollywood to international relations. So I don't want to live in a world where we can't rely on the Delaware Chancery Court. Uh, since I've been a young child, this has always been something that's been important. No, look, that's what I think the stakes are. So if they say, hey, dude, you waived your, your right to due diligence, you said you were buying it, this is the price, you agreed to it, there was nothing about bots anywhere in the agreement. If that's not being enforced, I think it's a really tough environment for, for example, people doing arbitrage. Um, it's a very tough environment for private equity firms who think they have a signed letter of intent. So I think it's, it's good that there is going to be some resolution to this sooner, or not later. Okay. Uh,
2: let's bring in our headliner now, uh, as we mentioned, BTIG's chief market technician, Jonathan Krinsky, joins us now. His note had us talking uh, certainly this week. It's good to see you again. The the crux of which, uh, speaking, of course, of your note, is that now we've spent 61 days and counting below the 50-day moving average of the S&P 500. So take that into consideration before you get all bowled up on a couple of days' moves.
7: Yeah, thanks. Good to be here, Scott. Um, Yeah, that's right. So we went back and looked over 50 years of market history um, and getting 60 consecutive days below the 50 days is pretty unusual, as you might have guessed. Um, The last time we saw that was November 2008. Um, And really, if you look at the prior samples throughout time, the majority of them tend to occur in established bear markets. Again, not surprising, um, but the crux really is that it rarely getting when you're at 60 days. Rarely did it mark the end of that bear market. Um, November 2008 obviously was was towards the tail end, but you still had that uh, that last three month drop into March. Show nine lows, and so ultimately, you know, we're we're, we're kind of in this uh, what we call a, a messy period of of time where you know people are you know, trying to figure out is it the bottom, is it not. But ultimately, we don't think we're quite there yet. And so um, we think rallies, uh, you know, up towards 4,000 should be selling opportunities in anticipation of that final leg lower that we think ultimately gets to uh, sub 3,500.
2: Why? why? What takes you there?
7: Well, I mean, if you look across the, the market landscape, obviously, you could make a case that, um, you know, wouldn't take much from some of the big, some of the top five tech names, you know, uh, Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, you know, wouldn't take much just the way the market mechanics are. Um, but ultimately, you know, we saw a lot of headlines today about how uh, positioning and sentiment is, is the most bearish since 08. Since you know, again, remember, October 2008, while that was a great buying opportunity if your time frame was, you know, was longer than nine months, you know, there's some pretty significant damage. There's about 40 percent downside from October into '09, into And ultimately, while we've seen positioning and, and certainly sentiment surveys get very bearish, you know, we never saw some of the signals that we have seen at every major market bottom over the last 15 years, uh, something like the VIX curve, right? We've, we've never seen a market bottom where you didn't get at least a 10-point inversion in the VIX curve. Um, we just haven't seen that yet. So okay. that's, that's just one of the reasons we're looking Anastasia, for.
2: Anastasia, you have a, qu- a question for Jonathan?
4: I do I mean I get it that we've been stuck below the 50-day moving average for a while now but at the same time look at the S&P today looking at 39.22 which is the 50-day moving average we're not that far away from it. So my question to you Jonathan if it does get to that level if we cross above it and manage to stay above it what happens then you know how much CTA volume might come into the market is that going to drive us higher technically and can they kind of offset some of the fundamental headwinds that we have.
7: Yeah. So remember, moving averages are just a, a way to gauge trend. And the longer the moving average, the longer trend you're talking about. So 50 to moving average, we would call medium term. So certainly if you can get above that and get that moving average to start to, to flatten out and ultimately turn higher, that would be a good gauge for the medium term trend. The issue is that, you know, the really important Moving average for for most participants and their trend is that 200-day moving average, which is still well above us, still firmly down sloping. So we're we're open to the fact uh, to the uh, to the uh, potential for a rally back towards 4,000, 4,100. We just don't think that rally in itself will change the primary trend. So mm. again, could we be at at some sort of market turn? Of course. Um, but just by our work, we're just, we're just not seeing enough can we, at Apple, this point. can we do Apple real quick uh, while
0: we have you? This is the most important stock in the world. This one took a while to succumb to the bear market that everything else had been in. At this point, today would be the 50th day of Apple below its 200-day. If you look back over the last 10 years where we've had nothing but V-shaped recoveries, Apple has spent an average – Of 33 days below the 200 day once it's broken below so this is almost twice as long as it's it's spent down here in that uh, statistical downtrend we really can't recover until Apple at least gets its bearings and 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 uh, the stocks like Apple stop going down so today is a good day if you believe that because Apple shrugging off some some negative news from yesterday, like it never even happened. Should we take some heart from that?
7: You know, I, I think when you think about Apple, it's <clears throat> and, and really a lot of the biggest stocks in the market, it's playing out how bear markets typically unfold. Right, bear markets typically start with the smallest, more speculative names succumbing. So we know that a lot of the you know long duration spec names peaked in the spring of twenty one. And then slowly but surely, more and more names as you go up the market cap scale succumb. And and basically, we're left with, you know, if you look at the drawdowns from the highs, we're left with a lot of defensive names. We're left with Apple and, you know, Google and and Microsoft names like that. So, you know, I think it's not surprising that it's kind of the last, you know, the last man standing, if you will. Um, But to us, it looks, you know, I wouldn't say that we have to see a huge drawdown in Apple from here, but the upside looks pretty tough in our view. There's a lot of overhead resistance, kind of right around this level. Yeah. So our thinking is it, it at a minimum would pause, but I think ultimately before this bears over, it probably does get to Apple as well.
2: Okay, uh, Jonathan, it's good to talk to you as always. Uh, you know, John to, to your point, you know, Jonathan calls Apple sort of the last man standing. I almost feel like it's the first big fish that started to swim a little bit again. It got off of its lows, yeah. 150. Mark Newton, by the way, a fun strat who's going to be with me in overtime today says Apple's rally off the lows makes it attractive to buy dips into late July. And that's the overall market, given the huge percentage weighting in the S&P. And the cues, as Josh was referencing, he also calls it one of the most important charts to keep a close eye on.
0: To gain more clues as the, to where look,
2: the overall I, market is going, we I think it's about
0: the, it so many times that week. I think it's the ball game, not just because of how big it is in the S and P, how big it is in the Qs. It's a Dow component. It's in every single factor and and style strategy on earth. It pays dividends, spends a lot on R and D, does big buyback. It's it like it it ticks every box. Everybody owns it. Everybody is aware of it. Um, they did that big split, very widely held. So I really do think increasingly. Apple becomes like a better uh, uh, gauge, uh, if you will, than anything other than the S&P. So yeah, I think it's obviously on everyone's screen. Okay. And we'll continue to watch. All
2: right. Some other groups are rallying today too. Industrials, one of the best sectors today. We've got to talk some healthcare. We'll do it. Industrials as well. And we'll be right back. We're at session highs. Uh, Dow's looking at a near 600 point gain. We had the S&P and the Nasdaq above 2% since we started the program and the Dow's approaching that level too. Russell, very strong today. Small caps, 3% plus uh, for that. Industrial is one of the best sectors today. Pharma Jim, Raytheon, Boeing, Deere, Delta, Alaska, Union Pacific. You like this group?
5: I, I like the group a lot. Uh, it, it's the heart of the thesis that I have. I also think you have to pull the group apart. Right? There's a lot of different parts of it. There's the transports like Union Pacific, but today what's really going on is is aerospace. And this week we've got the Farmborough uh, air show going on. There's a lot of orders coming out for Boeing and Airbus. One of them today, by the way, is a 787 order from AirCap, a leasing company, and it really makes you think that if AirCap is that comfortable ordering 787s, that they agree with Boeing that the uh, approval is near term uh, for deliveries to resume.
2: Mm. Anastasia, bullish or not on this group and why?
4: Yeah, I'm with Jim in that you have to pull the group apart. But if you look at it together as one block, I'm not uber bullish on the group. I mean, first of all, if you look at valuations, industrials, it's kind of in the middle of the pack in line with the S&P 500. So they're not uber cheap. Um, I don't see the valuation argument there. And then if you think about the catalyst it would be increasing manufacturing orders increasing defense spending or you know perhaps an infrastructure stimulus and we don't have any of that on the cards. In fact when I look at ISM manufacturing new orders they're slowing employment is slowing in manufacturing sector as well. So I think the overall trend for capex is down so it's hard to like the sector overall. But perhaps you do find some pockets of those opportunities. But for me, it's not airlines. It's probably not transports. there has got to be something else.
0: The Farmborough Air Show sounds like the Catalina wine mixer. Is that, is that equivalent? Because that sounds like a big catalyst. <laughs> I'm, in I, I'm in ITA with this group. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think you want to be in industrials. You want to be in aerospace. But I really think you want to lean toward defense. This is like a guaranteed bull market over the next five years. Everybody witnessed what went on in Ukraine uh, this winter. There is no uh, G20, G7, whatever. There is no country that's not going to be spending more in the next three years than they spent in the last three years. I think these stocks have a tailwind behind them. But but that's
2: that group. There's a difference between a defense tailwind and then a manufacturing bull market. Boeing's the
0: biggest weighting, though. I understand, but Jim
2: Jim paints a picture of a
0: manufacturing bull market. Uh, Could be. Could be. I mean, there's no signs of it yet, but let's hope.
3: Boeing's a special situation. They've had so many problems over the last several years. They yeah. get 787 out. They get China recertifying 737 max. Free cash flow goes to the moon, and that's what the stock trades on. I like John Deere. It trades at 13 yeah. times earnings, and it's, um, it's down Current revenue model. Yeah, and precision tech farming is a big deal. It's going to help their margins expand for the next decade. So that's the one I would play.
2: Like. Right, Jim? I mean, we're not in a manufacturing bull market.
5: Side note side note I love it that Steph and I always independently come to the same conclusion I'm in dear Um, But look the market anticipates I'll just restate my thesis not to get shot down again but I think it's important here right. <laughs> Infrastructure spending is approved and it's planned to come online next year. All of these plant openings that have been discussed and announced for two years are now starting to be built and the thrust of that is going to be felt in 2023 and the two years beyond. The market, I believe, is going to start anticipating that in the form of higher capex and higher industrial activity by the end of the year. Okay. All right, straight
2: ahead. Santoli's midday market check. We're back right after this. Session highs, as I just told you for stocks. Joining us now with his midday word is senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. I like that we started doing this ahead of our last word. Um, what you got today? Might Apple retakes 150, you know, transport small caps. What's on your radar here?
1: Well, it seems like, you know, the bulls picked up the, their fumble from yesterday. It really it looks like the way yesterday kind of looked for much of the morning. Uh, it, to me, it's about dialing down the recession, uh, the imminent recession risk uh, dial a little bit. Everything's moving in that direction. Credit spreads are collapsing tighter. Uh, You have the dollar down for the third day in a row. So I think it's just a little bit of a let's, uh, you know, release a little bit of the tension out of the system. One of the consistent things all month has been that the market's acting as if professional money had really taken risk down, lower exposures. Feel like they might have to add back if the market's going to be stronger. So it's too early to say, okay, we're going to break above this uh, this trading range. But that is the way the market has acted, uh, at least in the last couple of weeks.
2: Well, You heard Krinsky tell us a little while ago. I'm not sure if you heard the interview or not. Yeah, you could push 4000, 4100, but you still have a hard time believing in much more than that.
1: I think that's the way you do it. You look at the next uh, hundred feet of road ahead of you, and it, it's what's plausible in terms of even if it is just a temporary uh, kind of break from the uh, from the downtrend, and that seems reasonable to me. Uh, it's just one of those. I. I tend to think it's a net positive that very few people want to say the mid-June low is going to be consequential. That in itself doesn't get you far, but I think it's, it's notable. Let's put it that way. All right, Insiders I'll, starting to buy again. Yeah.
2: I'll see you in a few uh, for your last okay. word. That's Mike Santoli joining us from the Stock Exchange. Final trades after this break. Oh, boy. Overtime today, 4 o'clock Eastern. You know what's coming. Netflix earnings you cannot afford to miss the print what happens with the stock and then all of the analysis on the backside of that Shannon Sakosha's is with me Alex Kantrowich we've got Mark Newton as I said from Funstrat I'm with his big off. Apple note you'll be I may have you call in now <laughs> no. <laughs> Mr. Please shareholder don't. please don't make me note to the producers he said he's available we'll see how we'll, it see, it go. we'll see how it reacts <laughs> all right let's <laughs> do final trades uh, Anastasia
4: Energy. Uh, I liked taking profits on energy earlier in May, but it has corrected 26 percent from the peak. And by the way, I still think oil price can stabilize around 90 to 100 dollars a barrel. That's great for energy shares. They're highly profitable. The cheapest sector in the S&P 500 Mm -hmm. and, oh, by the way, has a dividend yield of four and a half percent. All right.
5: Thank you. Pharma Jim. Yeah, the last two quarters that Netflix has reported, it's laid an egg, and it's weighed on Disney and Paramount. Uh, I don't know if they're going to lay an egg this time, but I think the risk is to the upside. I don't think people are going to be fooled, because the last two quarters, Disney did much better in operating results than Netflix.
2: Yeah, Paramount not doing well right now either. Uh, Stephanie Link.
3: On the heels of Halliburton, I like Schlumberger. I've been adding to that. It's now my largest energy position. Great, best-in-class company with excellent technology and higher-margin profile.
2: Okay, uh, as I said, Josh said, you may see him this afternoon. Of course, he's clearing his schedule. <laughs> you also may what's not. Your, it's what's your
0: final trade? Uh, uh, <laughs> Nvidia. If you, think oh, this, okay. if you think this tech bounce has legs, this name will definitely All play. Right. It's up double the, the Nasdaq right now. I'll see you in a few hours. The exchanges now.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live, weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
4: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get
6: older, like a family vacation. Jenny!